Good morning, everyone. Last week, I explored the question, why bother regathering as the church? And we looked at six reasons why. Six reasons why we've decided as a church to go through all of the bother to begin regathering, even though we could leverage technology and indefinitely forego Sunday worship gatherings, but I explored six reasons why we believe both philosophically and theologically that's not the direction we want to go. Regathering as the church is really, really important. Even if we can only regather in a to a lesser degree than what we would uh, ideally want. This week, I want to pose a different question, and that is, if the church is the ecclesia, the assembled ones, the ones called out from the world to gather together, to learn at the feet of Jesus, why bother being sent back out? Um, why not just focus on us? Why don't we as a church with this, when we've experienced this isolation from each other, this disconnection, now that we can regain it, why not double down? Why not recommit to a deeper level of security and comfort and community and just focus on ourselves, just literally create a holy huddle and enjoy the fruits of it, right? I just came back from the uh, Nelson Christian School's year-end camping kind of powwow, and it was awesome. I mean, I was only there for like four or five hours, but, you know, since last night, they've been there. They're going to be there again into Sunday, and it's awesome to have the kids playing, and we're all on adjacent camping lots, and we're all kind of moving through uh, the different campsites and connecting with each other. That's awesome, right? I mean, there's this tremendous, uh, it's almost like being in a little commune, right? And you've got your, everyone's brought, got their food and their snacks and their children laughing. It's, it's awesome. It's really, really idyllic. And, you know, when you're in that space, you're like, wow, there's a part of you that says, I wish it could be like this all the time. Wouldn't it be great if we could somehow just keep this moment and be the gathered people of God together all the time, enjoying God, enjoying his creation, enjoying one another. But if we're reading the New Testament carefully, we'll notice that the church is defined by two movements. Yes, the gathering, the being called out from um, a life that is disconnected from God and being summoned by Jesus to be a new people. But the second movement is being sent out. And in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 22, we see um, Jesus giving instructions to the first disciples, which has ramifications for every gathered community of disciples uh, that are going to come after this initial generation. So, the context here in John 20 is that this is um, the disciples have been huddled away in isolation. They are emotionally devastated in light of Jesus's uh, crucifixion on Friday. They are unaware that he has been resurrected. They are huddled together 
And really their agenda at this point is merely to exist. And they're existing inside of this bubble of fear and complete disorientation. All of their hopes, all of their dreams, all of what they aspire to be and to do has been um, kind of completely ripped out of their life. And they're trying to figure out how to move forward um, with a a crucified and buried savior as sort of what to them looks like the end of that story. And then in verse 19, we read on the evening of the first day of the week. So this is resurrection Sunday. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Notice three things in this passage. Number one, Jesus appears among them. Remember, that's been kind of the... The the pattern that Daryl Johnson has opened our eyes to as we move through um, the early chapters of the book of Revelation, that Jesus stands among the lampstands, among his church. He moves among his people, his gathered church. And the second thing to notice is that Jesus gives them his peace, right? Jesus, in the context of um, gathering together with other disciples, He sort of settles our soul. He sort of puts his arms on our shoulders and says, I am here. I am with you. I want to give you my peace. And Jesus speaks in the gospel of John a lot. There's a lot of really uh, powerful statements that Jesus makes throughout John's gospel in reference to the kind of peace that he gives. In John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. And then in John 16, he says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so Jesus appears among his disciples and then he gives them his peace. And it's a peace unlike that which is on offer from the world. It's a supernatural peace. It's a peace that can overcome any kind of darkness and any kind of worldly trouble. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And this is one of the um, statements by Jesus that is really important in terms of understanding ecclesiology, meaning the study of the church or the ecclesia. What does it mean to be the ecclesia? Yes, we are the assembly. We are the gathered people, but we're also the people who Jesus um, imbues his peace within and then sends out. And Jesus says, the father sent me on a mission and now I am sending you on a mission. I'm sending you collectively on a mission to be my people, my hands and feet in the world. And then there are individual dimensions of that calling as well. But we are the sent ones. right? What is Jesus sending us to do? Because when we gather 
as the church, some people think, well, that's that's kind of the culmination of the Christian life. We come together and worship on a Sunday. But that's not the culmination from Jesus' point of view. He says, I've gathered you together. I've given you my peace. And now I'm sending you out. In Acts 1.8, he says to his disciples, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus sends us out into the world. He doesn't simply call us out from it and say, okay, uh, the world's corrupt. It's going to hell in a handbasket. So let's just kind of create a holy huddle and hold on for dear life until the end of the age. He says, no, you're going to be my witnesses. Now, for some of us who maybe had an early exposure to that word, that word was really loaded in the 80s and 90s. And to witness to someone essentially meant to evangelize them in the sense of explicitly trying to explain to them why they needed, needed to become a Christian and why they needed Jesus. But the biblical word witness is just refers to the process of bearing witness through one's entire life. So that might be a very explicit presentation of uh, the gospel or the truth of Christianity or the importance of Jesus, but it also means to, through my life and actions, reflect or bear witness to the fact that Jesus is Lord, that he is my king, that I'm under new ownership, and that I'm living now to serve him and to bless those around me. So Jesus sends us as individuals and as the church from being gathered. And in our case, that most readily happens for all of us as a community uh, on Sunday mornings. He sends us to be his witness here in the little neighborhood that you're a part of, in the city of Nelson and in the Kootenays and to the ends of the earth. And he also sends us to fulfill a great commission in Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, I want you to go. I want you to be a witness to who I am and to my message. But I want you to go. Um, I want you to go and also make disciples, teach people how to follow me, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now, I want to uh, be upfront and say there are lots of good and long and deep and wide discussions regarding what this should look like. What does it mean to go and make disciples? What does it mean to teach people uh, everything that Jesus commanded? What does it mean to be a faithful witness to Jesus? Lots of discussions about what that can and should look like at the individual level, for families, for congregations. But I just want to kind of zone in and recognize, uh, you know, um, past all those details, that the purpose of the church is not simply to regather and receive from Jesus, right? We do take time. And Sunday is a special part of that, to inhale grace and love and instruction. But that's so we can go out into the world and witness to Jesus' transforming power and truth. So there's this inhale, exhale. We bother ourselves to regather. 
to receive from Jesus, and then we exhale, we go. We remember, we're, we're commissioned. We're given a, a benediction at the end of every service to go and serve God this week, to be reminded and commissioned to go and make disciples. And if you neglect one of those movements, then we're not being faithful to Jesus, right? If we fail to consistently gather to worship together, or if we fail to go into the world with a desire to grow um, as an ever more faithful and more effective witness for Jesus, then we're not fulfilling part of our core calling of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And what that means is as we learn to listen to and obey Jesus, what he's going to do is he's going to lead us into a pattern of gathering and sending, right? Inhale, exhale. Because we need to gather. We talked about six reasons why last week, but we also need to be sent. Receiving power and refreshment from Jesus is critical, but it's not the end. We receive that power so that we can go and exercise it in service to other people. Right? We are ambassadors. We are sent to reflect God's goodness and faithfulness to the world, to bear witness to what he has done in our lives so that other people might turn to him and put their faith and trust in him. And guys, right now, there is, I mean, man, if we've, I've been, <laughs> through this time and over these last few weeks, really sensitized to the fact that people are looking for something and really looking for anything right now. The mission of the church matters more than ever in, in this moment because people are searching. We are in the middle of a cultural climate of hopelessness. People are grasping at straws. The foundations that people have built their lives on have really been shaken. And people are experiencing the fallout economically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. You think about of all the social anarchy and unrest that is breaking out all over. The rhetoric and the vitriol being spewed on airways, um, disseminated over social media. I mean, I, I read a lot of it. it. A lot of it is really demonic. It's dark. It is dehumanizing. People are angered by what they're seeing in the world. As different dimensions of the world's brokenness and evil are being exposed, people are just at a breaking point of saying, I, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. The way power is being abused and exploited, um, and yet in many, uh, in many ways simply overlooked or dismissed, people are protesting, people are rioting, there's destruction, there's lawlessness, there's confusion, there's anger. People are trapped in fear. There's a new term that I just heard on the radio this week called doom scrolling, which is where you're kind of scrolling through your Facebook feed on your phone, but um, you're basically feeding your brain a steady diet of doom because all of the 
articles are framed in such a way to maximize fear and to have a headline that is uh, solicits either anger or fear from you. And so you scroll through your Facebook feed, but you're not scrolling through things that uplift and challenge and inspire you. You're doom scrolling. And then people get overwhelmed with the brokenness and evil that they perceive happening um, in their world that is being kind of, uh, that is being foregrounded to them on social media. People are searching right now because there have been fault lines that have been exposed in their lives. Maybe stuff that they um, thought that they had dealt with years ago or were able to busy themselves into believing were um, okay or good enough. But now in their marriages or family relationships, um, the cracks are beginning to show. And people are wondering, is there hope for this part of my life, especially with these new stressors that have been introduced because of the pandemic? Right? There's all these storms bubbling up to the surface. It could be issues related to mental health, um, all these storms that are happening around us, even if uh, we haven't necessarily particularly felt an immediate impact from the pandemic. Personally, there is this brooding sense of when's, when's the shoe going to drop? When is it my turn to be laid off or to have this relationship begin to spiral out of control or to reach my mental or emotional breaking point? And people are exhausted. The, the adrenaline rush of adapting to the pandemic, I, I think if it hasn't run its course uh, <laughs> across our uh, society, we're, we're getting pretty close. And a lot of people are really, really weary. And they're looking for a source of power. They're looking for wisdom and guidance on how to navigate waters that they've never had to navigate before. They're looking for security. They're looking for an anchor of hope that will hold fast during the storm. They're looking for light as they're walking through places of darkness and they're stumbling towards who knows what. They're hoping it's towards the light and something better, but they're grappling for light. They're looking for spiritual food and drink that nourishes, not just junk food, the stuff that maybe was sufficient enough to sustain them when there was lots of prosperity and life was easy and, and moving in the direction that they were uh, wanting it to go. But now that so many things have been thrown, there's kind of been a wrench thrown in the gears of their life. People are realizing maybe just how shallow or um, nutrient, you know, what would be the opposite of something not, not being nutrient dense, right? Something uh, just, you know, calorically superficial. It was sweet for the time, but it doesn't actually nourish. And they're saying, my spiritual practice, my worldview, my anchor point, my center, it's not sustaining me when life really goes off the rails. People are looking for a foundation of hope amidst chaos.
And if you and I, if we as the church, if we don't gently, lovingly, persistently, thoughtfully point people towards Jesus, who, who's going to do it? I want to say that again. If you and I don't point people towards Jesus, who's going to do it? Now, again, we have to do that gently. We have to do it lovingly. We have to do it thoughtfully and persistently. But that's part of why we're sent out. That's part of part of why we don't just stay in the holy huddle of Sunday. We don't just move into a, a Nelson Christian commune and isolate ourselves. Because the fellowship and the strengthening and the joy and the learning, all, all the inhale that happens on Sunday is meant to be exhaled through the week in service and love for other people. So that even if in a small way, we direct them towards Jesus. And it's critical, you know, at the, at the risk of stating the obvious, but I, but I want to state it. It's critical that we point people towards Jesus. Because if you're looking for power, hope, guidance, security, love, forgiveness, a foundation for hope, not just for this life, but for the life to come, and we're not pointing people to Jesus, then the only alternative sources of quote-unquote hope are simply just other people or other man-centered strategies, right? Um, if we're not pointing people to Jesus, the only other thing we can point them to are worldly strategies that either ignore or reject God and his instructions. And what that means is we'll be pointing people towards strategies that are going to fail in ways that are both spectacular and inevitable. And so we as the church have a mission unlike any other organization. We have a mission unlike any other ecclesia, unlike any other gathered body of people. We are to go. We are to be sent to be ambassadors of the gospel of the kingdom. We are to share the gospel with people. Remember, gospel means good news. And although it has many dimensions, in its most simplistic essence, it's that God has come in the flesh to reveal who he is and what it means to be human. That's the incarnation. That's manger. Okay? Jesus came, God incarnate, and then he dies to secure redemption and reconciliation for those who turn to God, forsake their self-centered ways and say, Jesus, I need you to cleanse my heart, heal me, give me a new life. Right? That's the cross. And then the resurrection, the empty tomb. And then Jesus is proclaimed as king. He ascends to heaven. The resurrection and ascension offers eternal life and hope. And, and that message together, manger, cross, crown, the gospel, is the only ultimate solution to the chaos that is within you and the chaos that is around you. And until we install Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives by placing him front and center in our lives, 
then we're going to simply exchange one failing strategy for another. It might be a noble religious strategy, but the Bible is going to call it out time and again as an idol. And it's going to leave you empty and unfulfilled because no alternative to Jesus can deliver what Jesus does because he is the alpha and the omega. He is the first and the last. Remember that? The protos and the telos. He is the prototype and the end game of all things. I mean, this is my message as a pastor. It's not the only message that I have, right? I can talk about lots of different dimensions of Christianity, but the heart of it all, um, what is what all of the other messages are founded on, doesn't matter whether I'm talking about finances or parenting or anxiety or relationships or one's work, it all comes back to Jesus because I believe what Jesus says about himself is true, that it's validated in both history and in scripture. I believe that as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, if someone is separate from Christ, meaning they're living without Christ, then they're living, quote, without hope and without God in the world. So the only source of hope, and when I say hope, I want, I want you to picture a capital H there, not just... Um, what most people would use as like, oh, I hope that things turn out better, like wishful thinking. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about capital H hope, being confident of that which we do not see. We know it in our bones. The only source of hope for this life and the next is Jesus himself. And that's why we are sent as the church to witness to that truth. Again, in thoughtful and caring and gentle and wise and courageous ways. And not always in big ways. Sometimes it's very small ways, but those small little seeds matter and God uses them. That's why God gifts us with his peace and power and presence when we gather with other Christians in the context of prayer and instruction and worship. It's not simply to enjoy it as a blessing, although it is enjoyable. But it's also meant to be fuel. It's a filling of our lungs with oxygen so that our muscles can be oxygenated and we can go out and bless other people. And I know that when Christians hear pastors talk about fulfilling the Great Commission and going making disciples and being a witness for Jesus, that can be overwhelming. And you can think, I don't know, that sounds like a job for super Christians. I'm just like a regular, very imperfect, in-process Christian. Yes, I hear that. D don't, I don't want you, I don't want you to hear me say, this is a job for the super Christians, for the people who know everything about the Bible, for the people who've got their lives completely together, for the God, for the per people who, for whom there is almost a 100% overlap between what the, how they intend to live and how they actually live for Jesus. This is a call Jesus gives all of us. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And he's talking to all of us. And we can bring it down in a way that is very easy to wrap our heads and hearts around and our hands around by simply moving into this week and say, I want to be a witness to Jesus by being a blessing to those around me. Our denomination has an acronym, BLESS. 
And it's a simple but powerful anchor that we can use and keep coming back to it when when we feel like loving other people and evangelizing and being a witness to Jesus, that becomes overly complex and convoluted. And we begin to kind of think, well, that's not for me. I don't know what that would look like. Just clear all the complexity away and just focus on being a blessing to people around you. And that acronym BLESS, to bless someone, just means begin with prayer, listen with care, eat together or share a coffee, serve in love, and share your story. And it's sequential. So this week, right, we can be sent, and that sending can be, from a kingdom perspective, successful if each of us, just at the level of the individual, said, I'm going to bless someone this week. I'm going to set someone in my sights, not as a, um, a project or a target in a dehumanizing way, but I'm going to focus my time and energy in praying for this person all week. I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to try and listen to them. I want to understand a bit of their story. And maybe I can do that over coffee. Maybe I take them out to lunch. Maybe I invite them over to my home. And I'm going to eat together with them. I'm going to listen. I'm going to ask some questions about what makes them tick and what they're passionate about and what they've learned in life and what they're going through right now. I'm going to be slow to speak. I'm going to be quick to listen. And then I'm going to figure out out of that conversation, what's one thing that I could do to serve them? Not in a way that I would appreciate, but based on what they shared with me, how can I love them well? And then if they ask why I'm going through all this trouble, I'm going to be honest with them. And maybe the honest thing you're going to say to them is, I've been challenged as a Christian to love people better. And you're someone I really love. But I also realize I don't really know much about your story. And sometimes I can get wrapped up in my own world. And so I wanted to take time. And I want you to know I'm praying for you. And I want you to know that I really care about you. But I want to love you not just with words, because that's easy. I want to do it in action. I mean, just be honest with someone. Share your story about why you're doing it. Or if they ask you why you're a Christian, be honest with them. And if they don't ask, you don't have to tell. But we pray for them. We listen. We eat together. We serve. And then we wait for an opportunity for them to say, can you tell me more about your church or about your faith? That's being a witness. That's pointing people towards Jesus. Our mission as a church has never been more important to love Jesus, to love people, and to be a part of God's process of transforming lives. So yes, let's regather on Sundays. Let's draw strength from God and each other, but, but let's leverage that strength to go out into the different spheres of influence that God has placed us in and point people towards the only one who can fully and deeply set them free from sin and bondage and lead them into a life and into a hope that they're looking for, but they will find nowhere else. So as you go, family and friends of Nelson Covenant Church, may Jesus give you his peace and settle your soul. May Jesus give you his power and ignite your faith and may Jesus send you into places of darkness this week to bring light and life. And may the love of God the Father, the grace of God the Son, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with you all this week. God bless.